Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 234. With that number, I want to give a shout out to Jessica McDonald. Back in 2016, she played 234 minutes of a possible 240 over the two 2016 NWSL playoff games for Western Europe Flash, of course, both of those going to extra time. She had an assist in both games, including an assist on Lynn Williams' last gasp equalizer in the 124th minute of the final against the Washington Spirit. So hopefully we'll get to see McDonald creating more of her magic on the field during She Believes Cup. All right, two chats today. First with Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer. We talked, well, we complained, we ranted, we explained, we gensplained, we dancesplained, um, mostly looking back at the, the end of the NWSL and A&E partnership, what it means, where does the league go from here, the challenges of finding the right broadcast option for a developing league in a very transitional time in terms of how we consume sports. And we also talked a little bit about the recently released NWSL schedule. And then I caught up with Jamie Goldberg. She's the beat reporter for the Oregonian for both the Thorns and the Timbers. We talked about Providence Park, which is soon going to be reopening. Soon, by soon, I mean late May, early June. New, improved, and most importantly, enlarged venue. Uh, so, of course, that creates a backloaded home schedule for the Thorns. Also talked with Jamie about the challenges of a Women's World Cup year for the Thorns with so many internationals on the roster. So, hope you enjoy these two chats. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Dan LaLetta, um, the crankiest man I know covering women's soccer, even though, I mean, I have to admit, Dan, you're not always cranky, but you're much more fun when you're cranky. I'm not always cranky, but you only call me for the podcast when there's something to be cranky about. I know. I know. Cause I mean, you're, you're good at it. And then that's, my, that's, that's your shtick. Cause my first thought when the A&E thing happened was this is not good news. Jen will probably ask me to be on the pod. <laughs> and here we go. Yeah, I think you know me too well. Um, and that's what I want to talk about uh, since my podcast had already, I, I'd already, <laughs> I'd already finished it and po- and was about to post last week when the Annie news broke. So I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to delay last week. So you know, wait a few days, get more information. Uh, you know, and so now we can look at it with at least a few days hindsight. Um, it was a little bit of a surprise, but, but I have to say not a total surprise when I think about how many times in the last few months you've written, Hey, 2019 is going to be the key year for this three-year deal. Yeah. And it should have been (laughs) my biggest, my biggest question honestly is why one or both sides didn't want to stick around in the deal to find that out. It would seem that by pulling out now, there's, there was already so much writing on the wall that it wasn't going to work out the way they wanted to, that they didn't even want to stick it out. Not totally dissimilar from WUSA folding on Monday and the World Cup started on Saturday. But not nearly as dramatic because there's still a league well, no, and yeah, the games will still be broadcast. Yeah. Of course. And apparently, like, WUSA was literally about to file for bankruptcy, and they literally just couldn't stay open another week. But it was the sort of the, you know, the idea that, hey, the World Cup, would, you know, that year came to the U.S. because of the SARS virus, and that was maybe going to be a lifeline. For yeah. Thing. You know, you just my, – my biggest question is why did A&E want out now when the biggest – most visible part of the contract, which they always knew. It's not like this is new news that this is the big year. Uh, you know, it's just about to happen. And I wonder how much of the decision was driven by the fact that a lot of key players who made the deal happen, um, you know, namely the, the woman who was president Nancy of the Dubuque. network at the time. Yeah. CEO, you know, I think. Nancy yeah. Dubuque. Yeah. So she's gone. Uh, Evan Silverman, the, the VP that, you know, full disclosure hired me two years ago to do the notes for the broadcast. You know, he's, he departed last month. Um, 
and we've had some ownership changes. You think about it just in those last two years, you had the North Carolina group replace Western New York. You've had the Utah group replace Kansas city. So the nature of, of that ownership group is different. But at the same Um, time, I don't, that's a good point. Although North Carolina, they were in right when this deal started, but Probably the negotiations were already at, at the very well at the very end of it. Yeah, I mean, we we know but, that, that that was like eighteen months in in the making to make right. that but deal. But why? But I don't. I mean, that's an interesting point. But I don't know that. I mean, why? What's in it for these new groups to have pushed them out? Because now we're seven weeks or six weeks away from a season, and there are zero televised games right now, including the final. Which I'm and I'm sure they'll get the final on TV in some way, shape, or form, but it won't be like it was last year, especially if it's a short-term deal like they used to have, like, oh, we'll have six games and then the semifinals and the final. Well, and I also wonder, um, we're, we're in such a transition period in terms of how we watch sports, how we watch TV. I mean, I wouldn't even say that I watch TV anymore. You know, how how, how often do I turn on a TV channel for live TV other than when I'm maybe at a, a sports bar. You mean um, because you have a thousand channels and there's nothing to watch that stops you from putting the TV on and watching it? No, no. I mean that I'm not, I'm not watching via my cable network. When I turn on the TV, I'm watching via Amazon prime or some kind of streaming gotcha, service. Gotcha. I'm not, I'm not channel surfing. I am going to specific destinations. The only time where I'm really engaging with a channel is I'm sitting at the Phoenix because we've got a dash watch party coming up. It's not anywhere near kickoff. So you've got all these different channels on and maybe somebody is channel surfing. But like once I got Amazon Prime two and a half years ago, I no longer was just sitting in channel surfing. Now if I can I, take this com- if I can run with that and take this conversation completely okay. off the rails. Okay. Is that Go ahead. is that possible is that possibly a problem? for developing sports like women's soccer and even just sports in general, because I grew up in the eighties and I'm a, you know, I grew up a sports junkie and I still am to this day. I'll watch almost any sport on television. But part of that was that you could channel surf or you did channel surf and find different programs and you watch sports center at night and they gave you the highlights of the main sports. But I also right. knew who Dick trickle was because they always mentioned his name when they showed NASCAR highlights. It wasn't like they blew out the NASCAR coverage but they always showed it. Now and we're you, going and you to probably you probably read the newspaper with your dad every morning too, Dan. I did. I did. Like a printed newspaper. Absolutely. And I couldn't wait to see what was on the, I I still when I go into a store, I'm interested to see what's on the front and back page. Not interested enough to buy it, but interested <laughs> enough to look. But but now we're watching MLB network and we're watching the NFL network and we're yeah. watching you know, there's no more Fox soccer. But you know, like you said, you're going to watch specific things. So how do you, how will the next generation that grows up on that branch out their interests? And will there be enough people that catch on to a sport like women's soccer? Or will sports fans become more nuanced and not be quote unquote sports junkies? You'll just, you know, one sport will pass down or two sports will pass down. That's something that's been on my mind for a little while. Well, I, I I think we already have a younger generation coming up that is used to streaming and is not not channel surfing. The challenge is then, like you said, for a developing sport or anyone that's not in, in the top three, how do you get yourself out there? Um, and yep. to go back go back to the first season of NWSL. One of the smartest things I think the league has ever done is getting almost every game live and free on YouTube. Yep. Um, you know, from from the beginning, I think Boston was charging the first season what like five dollars a game. Oh, I forgot about that. I, yeah, they, and you had maybe what six games on Fox total. That, they had that a never deal, got put on YouTube. The Breakers had a deal from the previous year, right? From WPSL Elite. Oh, okay, I think, didn't know that. and they and they couldn't get out of it. I, I forgot all about that. But that's a good point. But the but. How did they do driving people to watch those games? And that's that. I think that's the piece that's missing. I mean, I know from the few times that I've been privy to the the YouTube stats that you know there was a significant you know World Cup bump, and also the fact that the the videos were never geo blocked. 
that you actually developed a worldwide following. Um, The average, get this average NWSL game, those first few seasons was being watched in over 100 countries. Yeah. You know, and and, and I think that the league just hasn't, you know, no one's capitalized on on that. So I guess my my point in all of this is saying it's like, I don't see it as a death knell to not have a game on a major network. That being said, of course, I want them to pursue that, but you've got to pursue the right partnership. I feel like Lifetime, or rather A&E, because keep in mind, it was the A&E network deciding to put it on its Lifetime channel, and they had a specific vision for that. And I think they went through the same process that MLS was going through more than 10 years ago when they had those Saturday afternoon games on ESPN. And it's just, it's a horrible time because it's hotter Fewer people at the at the games. Evening we know is so much better for attendance for the players, for the the enjoyment for the fans. Um, and, and I see, you know, that that fan. It's like it should be on ESPN. It should be on Fox. I'm like, well, that's great if it is, assuming that it doesn't get overshadowed by everything else on those networks. You know, exactly. I, I I understand the value of putting it on Lifetime when we knew. It was the only live sport on there. It was never going to get preempted by anything else ever. Exactly, and that, and, and there's a value a to part that. of it. Yep. Yeah, and that's if, and if you watch a lot of ESPN, especially in Fox and other channels, there is very clearly a pecking order in terms of how these things are handled. Even you know, as a golf fan who gets frustrated sometimes that the LPGA and the LPGA is in toward the end, I think, of a ten-year deal with the Golf Channel that was hailed as this amazing TV contract because almost every single one of their tournaments was going to be shown on television. That hadn't always happened. But the problem is, A, it's the golf channel. So if you're not already into golf, you're not going to find it. But B, I've seen LPGA tournaments, live coverage preempted for Tiger Woods talking to the media. I've seen it preempted because a senior tournament ran ran long, you know, they don't get the proper, you know, they're clearly not the pecking or the priority. And like you said, other than that rain game, uh, rain meaning precipitation in Washington, where they had to bump it back to nine o'clock and they had to stream the lifetime game, right. that, four to, that four to six window was theirs and they didn't have anything live running into it. it you know, we all made fun of the movies, but we knew that those movies were hard out to three thirty for the pregame show. But I do, I feel like li- like Lifetime and Annie had a similar issue of YouTube. I feel like they thought, well, we have X number of people watching, so X percentage of those X people are going to become NWSL fans. And I just think they misjudged the audience that they had and whether they could convert that audience into sports fans. So similar to like YouTube was great. And yeah, there was a world cup bump, but on an average Saturday, nobody's going to be like, Hey, I was, you know, scrolling YouTube and found this women's soccer game. I'm going to become a fan of the league. You know, I don't know that enough people who may have, um, become fans knew enough to get to lifetime. Well, and, and we knew both in the YouTube era and the lifetime era that, you know, the marketing still wasn't on point. I mean, we we know that Lifetime did a hell of a lot more than had been done before, which was almost nothing other than individual team efforts. But it, it frustrated me when I was doing Dash games, you know, before we had Lifetime, and there were never any ads on the Dash streams. And, and I'm thinking, it's like, I know people watching this would love to buy Dash gear. Well, you know, why isn't there an ad of how to buy Dash gear? Um, apparently, we have a couple of league sponsors. Why aren't there ads, you know, for those league sponsors? Same same for, for YouTube or wherever you're going to stream the game, you know, and apparently that's going to be Yahoo Sports. You know, if you've got some, some league partners, are they, you know, pointing people there as well? I mean, I, I do feel with social media that there's so many ways to get people watching, I just don't think we have a marketing team on the league level because we don't. I mean, truly, there no. is no marketing is team none. on the league no, level, you know, that, that's that's making that happen. Um, there, we saw some marketing efforts coming out of Lifetime, um, you know, well-intended, really well-produced. And I'm thinking specifically of the Julia Roberts Ellen generous commercial. You know, it's like an amazing get in you know, in names, but a strange message, you know, 
The league logo is covered up by Julia Roberts' hair. You know, You're pulling out the, everything tonight. I yeah. forgot about that too. Yeah, you know, nobody, none of those people ever came to a game. It's like this great one-off, but what what is it going to do, especially, you know, at, at the end of the season? So I guess I'm not arguing with you so much as as anyone that's saying, it's like, oh, we need to be on a TV network. It's like, well, only if it's the right deal. Well, only, again, if it, only if it's a network that that is going to work their ass off to promote the fact that, you know, it's on there to really drive the audience in and that it's a good fit. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have been a part of the last two years of what was on Lifetime. I, it took the production of the games to a level we had never seen before, you know, and to have two women in the booth, two highly qualified women in the booth calling those games. And, um, and my favorite word in having a piece of man candy on the sideline, um, you know, that, that, that was kind of fun and no offense to Dallin cause he worked his ass off too and can actually speak Brazilian Portuguese. So he could interview all the Brazilians in their native language. But you know, it, it's like when somebody tweeted, uh, around the final that they were offended that, uh, the game was on lifetime that they, they found it sexist. And I, I, I try not to, you know, get up in arms and reply to tweets sometimes, but I went at, I said, Hey, without lifetime, you know, this game would not be on live TV and there wouldn't be two women in the booth. <laughs> like, no, absolutely. So. And, you know, I think I've maybe you've mentioned this on the podcast once before, but I was at a family event and I tried to sneak on, I think it was a Thorns Red Stars game. Yeah, it was because it was in Portland. So it was, you know, it actually had the sound and look of a real sporting event. And uh, somebody came over and said, are you watching women's soccer? And you're like, uh-huh. And then, then they realized it was on Lifetime, and then they got even more alarmed. Like, are you watching <laughs> Lifetime? Alarmed. Are you kidding me? <laughs> They're worried but, about you. <laughs> and, you know, we, we we can joke about that. And, yeah, the production value was extraordinary. I mean, I, I, I commented that, I, you know, at a league level, I think it's the best coverage that has ever been produced for a standalone women's sporting event. You know, tennis notwithstanding, because that's part of a, you know, that's all – tied in with the with the men uh-huh. take out the world cup and take out things that are tied into men's events and i don't know that we've ever in this country had better coverage of like a women's league sport on a on a week-to-week basis but i do think there is some validity to the point that the there was a large group of potential fans that were very reluctant to turn on lifetime and i don't mean that in a way that like they would not like Hey, I would watch the game if it were on a different channel, but I just think that Lifetime did come with a little bit of a stigma might be the wrong word, but a reputation where it was going to be really tough to get certain part of your demographic to put that channel on. Yeah, and and it, it, it's not the first channel that comes to mind when you would think sports. Um, and of course, you also had an issue of being a cable channel that, hey, if you're if you didn't have it on your cable, you know, you kind of had to go the VPN route, right. you know, to watch, to watch those games. But Otherwise, I, and, that, I, and that's why I say we're in such a transitional phase of, you know, like uh, cup of nations that starts this week. You know, I had a friend ask, how do I watch that? And I said, it's going to stream free on this Australian site. You just need to figure out how to set up a VPN, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And I don't just demand is there. That we don't necessarily need these games on a network because they're you know we're doing things a lot differently. Not only are we transitioning, but with the way with the speed that technology grows, transitions happen that much faster all the time. Yeah. But my concern is why why did this network that did work to get these games on and did promote it and did have appointment television and then did alter the appointment television when they realized that maybe it behoove them to be on a slightly different network under the same umbrella and maybe at some slightly different times. Why did they leave now? That's well, Dan, that's why question. I have you on the podcast. You're supposed to answer that question. Well, I'm supposed to answer that, not ask it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Amanda Duffy said it's a win-win, so how could it not be a win-win? Uh, you know, I think it would be a win-win if they pulled out in October and then used uh, mid-February to announce their new television partner. There is, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, on a stretch, this turns out to be something where we look back and say, hey, the best thing that ever happened 
was losing the A&E deal, kind of like you look back in the history of MLS, and hey, the day they got rid of the mutiny and I can't believe on fusion. I wouldn't, that, I wouldn't you know, put it on that level because those were those were really negative. I'd be I'd be more like it's it's like the natural progression of okay, graduating elementary school, getting into junior high, and there's going to be a kind of a rough transition, but eventually you adapt and and you grow up. Yeah, but that's a reg, but that's a natural graduation from junior high. It would I, I would maybe buy that more if the deal expired. And gotcha. they said, you know what, we're going to look for something better. Then it took them a little bit of time. And maybe they're in negotiations deeper than anybody thinks. And we know the league's not going to tell us anything. They're not going to leak anything. They're not going to suggest, confirm anything until all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. And then even then, it might take them a week. But I don't know. It's hard so for after, me to really So after the first game has been on a, a TV channel, then they'll announce it is what you're saying. Well, you know, people. I always joke every year that, hey, maybe the schedule will come out every Monday. They'll be like, hey, here's week three. You know, and then you can guess. And then, you know, like by the end, you'd be like, well, of course, these are the four games that are that are left to be played. And I know I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> um, but, you know, the look, the league didn't sell. Let's put it. Let me, let me talk about this. The 2015 World Cup was a fabulous event, right? I don't think you disagree with that. Like me, no. you were half. You were yeah. half here and then half there. Yeah. So you saw it from our side, saw it from Canada. Here's why 2019 is almost impossible to live up to 2015 in the United States. Number one, it's in France, not Canada. So a lot fewer people are going to go right. to the World Cup, especially casual people. And that's fine. Number two, the U.S. isn't 16 years since they won. And we're not looking back at the 99 team. There's just not that pent up frustration with having not won a World Cup in a long time. And number three, how many, we could play a hundred more World Cups and not have a player transcend the thing like Carly Lloyd did. I mean, that was some, that was otherworldly. Even if you look at all the history of the men's World Cups, that's not going to happen again. That's lightning in a bottle. So how yeah. are we exactly are we going to capture momentum when in 2015 they couldn't even sell a sponsor? A national sponsor based on that. Okay, now I'm really depressed, Dan, and it's all your fault. That's what I'm here um, for. So I'm going to throw it back to you, uh, not on the World Cup angle, but you know why would why would they leave after two years? Well, I think they just. I think if I had to guess, and this is partially speculating and partially from things I've heard here and there. If I had to guess, I think they kind of got together and decided that it probably wasn't going to continue after 2019. And they, and they just said, you know what, why don't we get out now? And that way, whatever happens at the World Cup can be capitalized on immediately. But that's assuming something can be capitalized on. Immediately. Well, I, 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 I wonder. Games, I there wonder, will be games on TV this year, but I don't know yeah. when or how many. I, I wonder... From A&E's perspective, were they running up against a wall, whether it was the league office, the owners, or even U.S. soccer? I think there might be some validity to that. You know, that, we reported on Equalizer, yeah. um, about two-thirds or a little less than two-thirds of every um, dollar brought in by NWSL Media went to A&E and not to the teams. And I can understand wanting to get out from under that. It's just that you've got to be really sure that you can. And I don't know how much it was. I don't think it was that much, honestly, or A&E. Yeah, because that's only national. Out. Yeah, that's only national but, revenue, but, right? I, but I, but the, like, the, the league and the owners are talking like, we got this. Like, why were we sharing this and we can do it ourselves? But can they do it themselves is the question. Well, from a very selfish perspective, I hope they do got this because I would very much like to be providing <laughs> TV broadcast notes for, you know, great talent that's going to call NWSL games every week this season like I have the last two seasons. But, but just the fact that you were doing that job tells me a lot of what everybody should know about how seriously they were taking it. Yeah. Because not, they didn't have to have you – do that. And full disclosure, when you went to Russia last year for the Men's World Cup, I did my best imitation of a really bad Jen Cooper <laughs> and 
helped out, and I and I tweeted this, but working with Jen Hildreth, I've known Jen Hildreth for a long time, but actually working with her and seeing firsthand how much energy and effort she puts into making that broadcast perfect was really astounding. And and the and, questions they have, you know, the last two days before the games, and none of which end up yeah. on the broadcast, by the way. They just want to make sure they know them. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, just so you never know what's going to come up, and it's exactly. it's so fascinating to see that side. So yeah, so when you have a typo and like Tobin Heath's 2012 yellow card total for the national team, and Jen Hildreth picks it up. Yeah, so gee, yeah, you have she this, will you know, never you... let you forget it, Dan. <laughs> But I mean, it's a, but honestly, it's a compliment, uh, you know, that that Jen, you know, just as an individual was so driven to make the thing perfect and that uh, the people that were putting this, this production on actually spend the money. Because a lot of the times when you hear mistakes on broadcasts, it's, you know, yes, it all comes back to the broadcaster and it's ultimately the people who is who are doing the speaking. It's their responsibility to get it right. But a lot of times they're up against it. If they don't have access to the right information, how are they supposed to get it right if it doesn't exist or it's not accessible? Well, and and I want to give Lifetime slash Annie another shout out is that without them, you know, the last two drafts, uh, live streams would not have been what they were because that's not the league. That's, you know, and that we, and we had the same producer, same director, same graphics guys, all the people that were there every week for these games, you know, on site in Philly and Chicago, you know, and, and fans have seen the drafts has gotten bigger and better. I mean, it was so much better than 2016 when it was me and Jonathan Yardley and we had no film, no breaks, no, no, um, reporter on the the draft floor, you know, just covering it for four hours, and then once you see this year, where you know we've got special guests, you had Jordan Angeli, you know, Lori Lindsay, production value, so many highlights and graphics, and it's it's so great to see that. And despite you trying to get me every year to go home from the draft and watch the entire broadcast, <laughs> I don't really do that. But a couple of times this year, being in the back room and noticing that. You know, halfway through the draft, somebody would get picked and the camera would already be on them and their family. I and mean, that's like watching the Oscars. You know, that's that's yeah. good. That's detailed production right there, because that takes effort, because that's not just, you know, you got to know where these people are. I'm assuming that the producers got tipped off about who the pick was. But even if they did, they get what, 20 seconds tops? To I, I, w- I would assume. I mean, our graphics guy thought that those of us on the desk knew who the picks were because the pick is said in the back room, maybe 30 seconds to a minute before it's said on the stage. He just assumed that we knew, you know, cause the very last pick I, I said, well, um, what's her name? Oh, Florida state player. I totally can't remember. Oh, Tillman, Casey Tillman. I, I, okay. I said, Tillman hasn't been picked. It has to be Tillman. And then it's Tillman. And, and so post, post-draft i was like wasn't that cool he goes you knew who it was i was like no i didn't he's like he's like you're not on that audio channel so it's like yeah the people in the back know but yeah we didn't know. and i don't want you to know because i want yeah, I'm watching I, don't you, know I want i want to hear your reaction as close to live as possible yeah I yeah. wouldn't want you, you to you know, don't want to see it see our faces change as we hear it and then the a, camera you know, a minute people, later say it the camera people had to know either that or they just had oh, yeah. amazing, like they yeah. had the best draft yeah, I think of all time. They must've been, they must've been on like the backroom audio channel because yeah, otherwise how would you, how would you be able to, you know, get there? Right. And so the room was but dark. Anyway. It's not like you could see anybody. The room was pitch black. It was either <laughs> under a spotlight or the room was completely dark. Anyway, let's, I want to move the topic along cause we've, we've ranted on this one pretty well. And I, and I hope everyone's enjoyed it, but I do want to talk a little bit before we go about the end of yourself schedule that finally came out, because one of the reasons we've got that NWSL A and E news very suddenly was because they needed to say that as the schedule was coming out, because it was right. going to be obvious that there wasn't an NWSL game every Saturday at the same and those time. Those teams ran from those four o'clock time slots faster than anything. And, 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 and why wouldn't you? I mean, of course. I, I remember so clearly Dominic Kinnear uh, for Dynamo that first season. We had several 3 o'clock games on ESPN. And he said, people keep trying to tell me it's a home advantage in Houston. He's like, it's not. 
No one plays well in it. It's horrible for people to watch. The fans are hot. They all have stuff to do during the day. They'd rather, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like when there's an NFL game in in Green Bay and it's minus six and everyone's like, oh, it's home field (laughs) advantage. Like like anybody on the Packers really wants to go outside and play football when it's minus six. (laughs) So so first thoughts when you saw when you saw the schedule. Well, mildly depressed over the fact that they got the Red Stars Courage game right on week one, but there actually won't be television for it. And to be honest, it didn't occur to me till the next day after the announcement when I saw the schedule how accustomed I had become to the Lifetime game and kind of going through and seeing which is the national TV game. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a lot of sympathy for the schedule makers because it's not an easy schedule to make. There's a lot of things involved, some of which we know a about. A lot of moving of parts. We, some of which we don't. Yeah. Um, the few things that stood out, uh, Easter night opener in the new stadium for the rain can't be ideal. Um, first rain thorns game is the Friday before the world cup final, which is far from perfect. But then again, you've got to, if you're going to play in those windows, you got to have some games. Yeah. Um, the first game after the world cup is Royals at sky blue, which is not, um, you know, that's a Friday night game that doesn't exactly jump off the page at you might actually be better in that case. If the world cup players don't come back. And you're not expecting right. it, so that takes a little bit of the pressure off that game. Now, full disclosure, not the first game after the 15 World Cup, but the first game after what was a longer break was Kansas City at the Thorns. I think it was a Friday night, but I'm not sure. Late start, so you know it was kind of a snoozer. Kansas City was up one nothing, and lo and behold, Michelle Beto scores the equalizer, and uh, you know everybody woke up from there social media slumbers at midnight Eastern time. So you never know know, what's (laughs) going to happen. But um, yeah, and the Red Stars at the end of the season have the bye week, and there's nothing you can do about this either. But before that is a FIFA week. So if they make the playoffs, they'll be on a three-week break heading into the playoffs, and you can spin that either way you want to. Could be great, could be poor. Um, But I, I think it's scheduled fine. There's not a ton of Wednesday games. There's never more than two games on any Wednesday, which is good because you know, I'm, I'm kind of torn all the time. Do I like Wednesday games because they kind of make the week go quicker? But those weeks where there's like a seven and then two eights and a ten, it's like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this. But, uh, yeah, the schedule is fine. I think, um, you know, they do the best they can with it. I love balanced schedules. And, uh, yeah, I'm good with it. Well, sorry if that's the wrong answer. Sorry I, if you wanted me to be no, more cranky about no, it. No, no, no. Um, because one of the things I, I don't think the league got credit for when they announced the schedule format, which I think we got what early December, like, oh my god, such a small World Cup break. It's like, that's fine. Uh, because since this schedule is longer than 2015, where the teams only played. 20 games total and finished a little earlier. Um, The the schedule being spread out and not starting till, till mid April means it's a backloaded schedule. Uh, You know, so hopefully they can take advantage more of that world cup bump that, you know, think, think about 2011 where WPS, what they had, what six more weeks to play after the world cup in 2011, you know, so 2015, you went into September, you know, 2019, we're going into October, you've got more to take advantage of. When we have an odd number of teams, it's always going to make the schedule so problematic, other than the fact that it's it's so nice with nice that you play everybody three times and it's 24 teams. But because the schedule is more spread out, like you said, we have fewer Wednesday games. I, I think the schedule in general is, is better for everyone involved. I think, you know, that the kicker is just, hey – can we can we get some some teams some some games on TV and the last topic um, what is watching on Yahoo Sports going to be like and I want to stress here and we we kind of talked about it all already but I want to make it really clear the production of the games and the streaming of the games are two separate things so the company that's responsible for producing all the games that aren't picked up by a TV network is the same company that's been doing it the last two years. So our production level isn't going to drop. The question is moving from, you know, we had a go 90 for a while, very problematic in some transmissions. 
then they kind of just moved it over to let's just have it on IndieCellSoccer.com, which I think for the most part was much more stable. So now Yahoo Sports, which you and I both watched a little bit last week, uh, you know, for CONCACAF Champions League, um, I didn't have any trouble, but you had mentioned some really some weird ads kind of pr- um, preventing you from switching between games. Yeah, um, you know, I tried to fly, put on the Toronto game, which was, I guess, the first match night, Tuesday night. They were down 3 nothing, so I went over to the Saprisa game, which was more competitive, and I got a new ad before I went into that game, which I, maybe that's okay if you do it once, but I found that every time I switched, I got a new ad, and that will not go over well when there are multiple games on. Also, the Saprisa feed kept freezing, and when I refreshed, it would refresh me back to the Toronto game, which I guess was the main game at the time. Uh, I know I'm not the only one that had problems, but similar to Go90, when Go90 was freaking out at different points, um, you'd go on Twitter and you know, 20% of the people would say, I haven't had any problems. What is everybody complaining about? And 20% of the people would say, I can't watch it at all. And then the other 60% would say, well, I could watch it, but dot, dot, dot. So because you didn't have a problem and I did, that's kind of sounds like the same sort of thing. Now, you know, full disclosure, I'm not, you know, all out to watch CONCACAF Champions League minute for minute. So I didn't make too much of an effort. Um, I'll tell you one other thing though. It was not easy to find on the site and I don't imagine NWSL will be that much easier. And I wound up going to big soccer to find the link that I had remembered seeing couple days before that and that's fine again for me but that's not going to get you a new fan in if you can't even find the game you know you got to be able to if i say games on yahoo sports you've got to be able to type in sports.yahoo.com and it's got to be fairly easy to figure out and again uh, you know i you know maybe if you do it once or twice you figure it out maybe i'm not the uh, person that figures these things out as fast as the average one but uh, I think they need to be a little bit easier to find. And on the note about the difference between the production company and the distribution company, it's been two years. And if you remember, the first, what, six or eight weeks of Go90 were an epic disaster. You're the only person I know, including league people that I've spoken to about this, that has ever explained to me the difference between the production <laughs> and the distribution. So hashtag bad messaging as usual. Uh, <laughs> You know, from the league because no, even because the, even the there, there's somebody that's the yeah, there, there's somebody that's putting the game together. That's you know the cameraman. There's a director. There's a producer. There's somebody throwing up graphics or somebody making sure the audio, and then that as a package is being sent out to whoever the distributor is. Um, and, and we ran into this problem too. I remember on, on YouTube there are a couple of dash games where there was just some YouTube hiccup. Uh, One game, I remember, like, it kept, it it split the field and showed the top of the field at the bottom and the bottom at the top. And it's like, that's not not what we were sending to YouTube, but that's what YouTube was transmitting to, to the public. So, public service announcement, if you're pissed at Yahoo Sports stream, let Yahoo Sports know. Because they're the ones controlling it. <laughs> At the same now, if time, there's a no. graphic that's wrong, if there's a graphic that's wrong, or a player's name is being mispronounced or something like that, that's the production. And assuming I'm still involved with the production, hey, I don't mind a pleasantly constructive tweet that says, hey, did you know blah, blah, blah? Because I can fix that. Wait a but minute, I, can't fix, I can't fix the, uh, hey, it's not coming up on my Mac kind of there thing. Are- there are pleasantly constructed tweets. Well, to me, you probably don't I, get any. But. <laughs> I definitely don't. <laughs> um, I, you're right about all that, but the league—if the—if this is the product belongs to the league, and even if it's not the league's fault, the league needs to be more front and center on telling everybody what you just told me and the listeners about it. The league can't just sit back and watch the feed blow up and say we're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's got to be responsiveness. I remember, uh, you might remember this, you know, so the first season, uh, you could watch, if you didn't have Fox sports, you could watch on their streaming service. Cause they did like a free trial. So you didn't right. even have to pay, you know, for the, for the, for the playoffs. 
And I remember having, uh, you know, some troubleshooting things. So there's a, there's a little, little red button on, I guess this wasn't Fox Soccer to go. Yeah. It was Fox Soccer to go. It's the paid service you normally yeah, pay for. And I click on it for help and it says, sorry, help is only live during champions league games. <laughs> well then don't put that little button there. you know it's that kind of thing there there does need to be somebody who's uh, available to go yeah we're we're working on it you know um i i I do remember with some of those dash games that our our producer made sure that somebody was tweeting from the houston dash account of yes we're aware of the issue and youtube is working on it please be patient you know so at least that that acknowledgement is huge yeah for sure Anyway, all right. Well, I think we should start the ranting there because that's that's been a lot of ranting. Um, so I'll, I'll give you one last thought before we go, Dan. And it doesn't have to be positive, but it's okay it's, if it's positive. Just any soccer thought that I can. And, well, any Woso soccer thought. Yeah, we don't care well, about Chelsea goalkeepers not wanting to come off the field. You know. You don't want me to give you my breakdown of the Concacaf Champions League this week? No, no. Other than to say that DeMarcus Beasley rules, but no. <laughs> um, I guess uh, since we talk about Sky Blue a lot on here, Sarah Killian re-signed this week and had some very nice things to say about the organization. Granted, it looked that's awesome. Bit, it looked a little bit overproduced, canned, what have you. But it, you know, we every time somebody doesn't want to be there or wants to be traded, you know, we act like the sky is falling in. So when Sarah Killian and I think that if Killian and Raquel Rodriguez have good seasons, uh, they can be decent. They're going to have depth issues, but um, I think they have a chance, a chance to have a decent starting 11 if Killian and Rodriguez play better than they did last year. So uh, just let's make, let's acknowledge when things go right that uh, Sarah Killian, very excited, at least in her press release to be back with sky blue. Well, and it looks like they already have 13 players committed, not counting Carly Lloyd or I, we don't know the status of uh, Kaylin Sheridan because, of course, we still don't have the yeah, uh, federation list. Sure. I'm assuming we'll know what that is by Monday because Monday's preseason. So. Yeah, but the league <laughs> doesn't really have a functioning communications department, so we might not know. But I'm, I'm be surprised if Sheridan's not a Sky Blue player opening day. Hey, so so good. They've got at least 15 players already signed for the season. So that's, that's huge. Well, Dan, thank you for taking the time to analyze, get cranky, look back at, you know, it, at, at all the different WOSO topics. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully you're right. And there will be some games on TV this season. I will. I don't know what I'll do. You can pick something. If there's no games on TV this season, I will be bewildered that doesn't mean there'll be like a great you know i think it'll be more like hey there's going to be five games on and the window will be two hours on the nose and it'll be intro lineups and you might have a broadcasting team that may or may not know who played what positions a week ago but i do think there will be games on television All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jamie Goldberg, the Thorns beat reporter for the Oregonian, ready to talk all things Portland. Jamie, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. So we finally got the end of yourself schedule, and it's not a surprise, really, that Portland doesn't have any home games until June. Um, But for those that might not know why, uh, why don't you tell a little bit about, um, you know, why Portland's schedule is a little bit different than everybody else's. Yeah, uh, the Timbers and Thorns organization have been undergoing a stadium renovation project at Providence Park. Uh, I think it's at this point uh, about an $85 million stadium renovation project funded by Merritt Paulson. Uh, Yeah, it keeps going up. I think it started at 50, but um, privately funded. Um, And it's going to add about 5,000 seats to Providence Park. Really, the um, east side of the stadium is going, so they're sort of building up. So it's going to be sort of this wall on the east side of the stadium um, for a stadium that's already pretty loud. Uh, If you can get enough fans in there, I I think it's going to be a pretty crazy atmosphere in the second half 
the year. Um, I, I think on the interesting thing for the Thorns is what that's going to mean. Are they going to be able to, with those extra seats, sell them? Um, if they can sell out, uh, it would end up being later in the season a NWSL record and, and just a crazy right. atmosphere for women's soccer. Um, if they stick around the same number, the stadium's going to look a little bit less full than it has maybe in the past. Um, but for the Thorns, that means six games on the road to start the season. Uh, for the Timbers, it means 12. Uh, so the Thorns aren't dealing with something quite uh, as difficult as that stretch, but um, they won't be home uh, until June. Wow, 12 on the road for the Timbers. I hadn't even, haven't even noticed that. So yeah, it's a little bit more balanced for the Thorns. You know, you've got a 24-game season, so six on the road's not too bad. But I like for the Thorns what it looks like at the end of the season, how many they have at home in that final stretch. And as we know, that's when, you know, you know all your, your national teamers will be back from the World Cup. So that could be an incredible run second half of the season. Yeah, I think the Thorns have eight of their final 11 games at home. And obviously, that this is a place that the Thorns have historically done really well, um, playing at Providence Park, at least in the last few years under Mark Parsons. Um, and given that the Thorns are going to be missing it, most of their best players, obviously, did the World Cup, and they have a significant uh, amount of absences that they're expecting uh, going into the World Cup from the U.S., Canada, Australia, um, the players that represent those countries, uh, it's going to be important for them at the very end of the season to be picking up win after win. Um, if you look back at 2015, even with the Thorns, obviously that was a very tough year for them and they didn't end up making playoffs. Um, but they sort of right. had to rely on trying to put things together towards the end when their national teamers got back. So I, I think this year the Thorns are a little bit better prepared uh, than they were in 2015 to deal um, with the World Cup absences. But I, I think they're also going to have to find ways to get points towards the end of the season. And being at home with their best players finally back from the World Cup is going to be a big benefit. And, of course, the roster structure has changed a little bit since 2015 where – the players that replace national teamers, you know, they're no longer amateurs. They're actually paid and roster sizes increased a little bit and they've added supplemental players. Um, not that teams have to sign supplemental players, but they can sign up to four supplemental players. So it, it just, you know, it seems a better system obviously than, than 2015. And, and how do you think Portland's going to take advantage of those additional spots? Yeah, I would expect them to try to use those additional spots. Um, I, I think every year under Mark Parsons and even before under Paul Riley, there was players that were training with the Thorns throughout the season that they were trying to get spots for it, and those just weren't available. So I don't see any reason why the Thorns wouldn't take advantage of those spots. Coming into the season, they're going to have – I know they just hold, held open tryouts, so we'll see if there's any um, non-rostered invitees coming from that, non-rostered invitees coming just from scouting throughout the country. And then, of course – they're going to have, uh, even though they only drafted one player in this year's NWSL college draft, Emily Ogolaf out of Penn State, um, Gabby Seiler and Sandra Yu, who were their draft picks last year, didn't really have an opportunity to compete for a spot last year. Both of them got injured and ultimately um, left Portland and were, I don't think Gabby was even there at all and were ultimately told to come back this preseason and, and sort of start at that point. So they're going to have three draft picks uh, essentially coming in this year to compete for spots. Uh, so I expect when when camp opens next week that there are going to be a number of players uh, in practice that aren't actually on the roster right now and are competing for the very end of the roster or, or for their su- those supplemental spots. And, I, and I, I like how the season lined up this year where preseason's not starting until almost the end of that international break. So, you know, of course the, your internationals will be gone next week, uh, but we'll, you know, rejoin the club pretty soon afterwards. But one thing that allows is, is clubs to bring in additional players that first week as, as trialists, because you can have, I think up to 30 or 32 players, you know, that first week, um, you know, so who knows with the, you know, with open tryouts, if, if they found something in, and it seems like every club at the first day of preseason, you know, when we hear who's in camp, it's like, oh, I didn't know she was there or I didn't know she was still playing or, you know, or who knows who. And I, I'd love to be privy sometime to all the phone calls that happen 
the moment the draft is over where all the coaches are reaching out to people who didn't get drafted. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Mark Parsons uh, said that they did a lot of research going to this draft and called um, probably more coaches and and, um, did did sort of their background research on more players than they've ever done before. So I would not be at all surprised to see some players that sort of fell off the draft but were on that list um, in Portland's preseason camp. And another name coming to Portland this season, actually returning to Portland, Dagny Brynjars daughter uh, after the birth of her kid last year. So that's got to be an exciting thing for Portland fans. Yeah, I, I think this could be a really big signing for, for the Thorns. Um, I think Dagny's likely to be a player that can come off the bench. That's what she was before. Uh, not necessarily given the internationals the Thorns have, a, a player that's going to be in the starting lineup, um, but a player that that's versatile, can play in central midfield, can play on the wing, can play um, as an outside back. Uh, so she could fill in the roles as a starter or, or coming off the bench. But I think the, the biggest benefit for the Thorns is sort of that she provides um, a, a, another level I think that they're not necessarily going to have up and down the roster during the World Cup. She'll be there during the World Cup. And there's always a question mark, I think, when you're seeing a player coming back after having a a baby. That's not an easy thing to come back from and be at your peak um, right away. Uh, I mean, everything I've seen on social media, it seems like Dagny has been working out and um, put trying to put herself in the very best position to be up to the level that she was uh, before giving birth. Uh, I I think Mm -hmm. that's something we'll sort of have to see at what level she's at in preseason. Um, but if she comes back uh, at the level she was before, um, I think she's going to be hugely important for the Thorns during the World Cup and a player that's going to play an important role um, throughout the season as well. And, and speaking of internationals who won't be gone for the World Cup, you also have Sona Gorchevich, who, you mm-hmm. know, Switzerland not making this World Cup. That means you've got her the whole season. Yeah, I I think that's uh, another one that's really important. I I think looking at sort of the Thorns roster and where the internationals are on the roster, my biggest worry going into the season um, sort of is how the Thorns are going to handle things, especially in the attack during the World Cup. So I think having Dagny coming back, and I think the fact that Switzerland did not make the World Cup and Soren Gorchevich is going to be there for the full season uh, sort of makes those worries, uh, you don't have to be quite as worried about them. Uh, Obviously, Soren Gorchevich is the player that can score score goals uh, for the Thorns, uh, especially at a time when they're going to be missing. I, I mean, Haley Rasso, Tobin Heath, Lindsey Horan, <laughs> Christine Sinclair. I, I mean, you look at the attackers that the Thorns are going to be without during that World Cup, and they're going to have to find goals elsewhere. And moving from Portland club to Portland players, you know, out playing internationally, I got to ask the question, even though I'm sure my listeners are, are sick of me talking about it. Will we see AD French get capped in this She Believes tournament? <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. If I was going to bet on it at this point, I would say no. Um, I would I would love to see AD get a cap. I think she deserves it. I also think if you're going to bring a player in and she's going to be your third goalkeeper, and that seems to be the point that uh, France has worked her way up to a, a, within the national team, it, it means she's likely going to France. I, I mean, they're going to take her away from the thorns for a significant portion of the season, bring her to France, and have yet to even cap her. What's really the point? They don't even know what she looks like in a game environment. Obviously, they've seen her in practice, but to, to not give her that chance in a game environment and sort of see how she meshes with the team. Um, obviously, you don't expect your third goalkeeper to go in uh, in a game um, in, at the but, World Cup, but you never but know what's going to happen. Right. You don't. You don't want to take that risk. <laughs> yeah. You want her to mess with her teammates. You, I mean, it's training minutes and being in game minutes are completely different. So I don't know why if right now it absolutely seems like she'll be on that world cup roster. I don't know why she wouldn't get a cap before then, but there's nothing that um, Jill Ellis's sort of rotation or lack of rotation at the goalkeeper position um, (laughs) that she's done makes me think that AD is about to get a cap. Well, and last question for you, Jamie, um, just your thoughts on seeing uh, Megan Klingenberg doing some some studio commentary work for Fox Sports. Yeah, I, I think she's been great. I, I think it's always a good voice. If you can get a player that that sort of has a, a predisposition to be 
to sort of fall into that role, which I think Ming Klingberg has the personality. Um, I, I think being able to get a player's voice in, in those roles um, and a player that's been obviously with the women's national team side, not just necessarily former MLS players or things like that. Um, I, I think it's always great for the commentary. I think you get a different level that you would otherwise not get. Um, obviously, they've had some other women's national team players doing commentary as well. But yeah, I think Megan's been great. I, I, I doubt she'll obviously be able to do anything around the World Cup. Maybe there's some promo or something she can do um, but with playing for the Thorns. But if, if she wants it, I think that could be, uh, I think we could be seeing a lot more of Ming Klingberg in the future um, after her playing career is over uh, as a commentator. Well, and, and and I told her uh, when we worked World Cup qualifying together in um, in, in Dallas, I, I said, "Can I just say it's really nice to see someone who's not a bleach blonde in high heels behind the desk?" <laughs> <laughs> and she yeah. smiled. And no offense to bleach blondes in high heels, but there's just been plenty of them, you know. So I, I was like, "This is great. This is a, a like I said a different voice and you know just a different representation." Yeah, I, I think. Y- y- Sometimes you getting a certain look or a certain type. Um, I, I, I always think that commentators should just be the best person for the job. And I, I think Megan Klingberg has shown that this is something that she's good at. And I hope that Fox continues to work with her. Well, Jamie, th- thanks so much for taking the time uh, to chat Thorns. And, you know, and, and good luck waiting until June to finally get uh, uh, some home <laughs> games to cover. Yeah, yeah. I won't be seeing Robin Spark for a while. <laughs> All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Of course, She Believes kicks off this week, today. All depends on when you're listening to this. But yeah, we're in She Believes territory. First Doubleheader will be in Philly, or more specifically Chester, Pennsylvania, with England facing Brazil on Wednesday, the 27th, 4 p.m. Eastern, followed by the U.S. women playing Japan at 7 p.m. Eastern. The U.S. game will be live on Fox Sports 1. You can also stream the first game at ussoccer.com. And then Saturday, we've got Japan versus Brazil at 1 p.m. on ussoccer.com followed by USA versus England at 3.30 p.m. on Fox, the main channel, Fox. For more details about the tournament, just check out ussoccer.com. And, of course, with this FIFA window, we've also got Cup of Nations, Algarve Cup, and Cyprus Cup. Basically, every one of the 24 World Cup teams, I think, is in one of those four tournaments. Um, I wish I could say it was easy to find streams for all of these games but just a a little digging you might find more more than you'd expect and thank you to all the people that post game put these complete games up on youtube i know a lot of us appreciate that all right next nwsl preseason starts next monday that's march 4th several clubs have released preseason schedules and yes we finally have the regular season schedule too so if you haven't already downloaded the NWSL app, you need to do that because uh, it's got the schedule and all kinds of great things on it. You should also download the Yahoo Sports app because at this point, every single game of the season will be streamed for free on Yahoo Sports. And I'm thinking we should see a flurry of player signings, maybe even some trades as we approach next Monday. You know, we're kind of getting into the real preseason. Um, you know, I, I keep that list up on keepernotes.com. You can always find the link that shows you the rosters as they stand. Of course, once preseason start, starts, it gets a little crazy as there's a lot of trialists coming in and out of camp. And of course, if you're not already following me on Twitter, you might want to check out Keeper Notes or Mixone or both. And of course, that's Mixone with two X's. Uh, I like to do giveaways, especially during U.S. soccer games. Hint, hint. Uh, So you might enjoy that. And last for today, and I keep saying it, but it's a reminder to myself to keep keep on top of this huge product project that I've, I've bitten, bitten off way more than I can chew. Uh, but the, the postseason edition of my Keeper Notes Almanac, I am oh so close to finishing this amazing printed 330-page 
book. It's so awesome. And I want to say thank you to all the people who have pre-ordered it, but I'm so close to having it ready. And then my big project, of course, is a complete statistical guide to the Women's World Cup that I want to have out before the NWSL season kicks off April 14th. So stay tuned for details on that. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to everyone who gives me a shout out on Twitter or or tells a friend about the podcast. Thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast. And thanks to Sean for putting the podcast together. But now she's everybody's girl. You know she's everybody's girl.